All right, guys. So this has probably been the most heavily requested thing that I've ever been asked to do, um, and we're finally doing it. Uh, I don't have I don't have a name for it. Uh, I don't have anything like that because truthfully, I don't find that stuff matters as much as the conversation and the subject that's talking does. I see a lot of people that make podcasts that spend $20,000 on a studio, all this equipment, but the people they're talking to have the personality of wet cardboard. And I think that people value or, or podcast you know, hosts will try to bring on a champion or this guy or that guy, and I don't think accolades should supersede the conversation. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of people that you might not know going into the podcast, but by the end of it, you will. So... The No Name Podcast, just call it The Good Conversation. I don't have anything for it yet. You know, we're literally sitting in my home gym. Shout out, Resurgence. And, um, you know, this is actually a perfect segue into our first guest, Dan, because, again, a lot of people don't know who he is, but by the end of this, you will have a lot of respect for him, and you will learn a little bit about his story, and I think it's a very special story. So um, welcome to the, you know, my first guest. Welcome to the podcast. Dan, I have no idea how to say your last name. I've always known you as Dirty Dan. I don't <laughs> even want to try to say your last name. Um, so can you give us a little bit about yourself and kind of go from there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Kevin and uh, 110 for having me as the first guest on this podcast. It's a absolutely tremendous honor. Um, I've been <clears throat> a longtime supporter of 110 since the beginning. Um Wearing the shirt. So <laughs> anyway, uh, my name is Danny Stachelek. Um I have been powerlifting since t- 2018. Um, I have gone back and forth from USAPL, uh, USPA. Uh, and as of right now, I am currently sticking with USPA and WRPF. Were you, before 2018, were you an active guy? Were you were you lifting and you just didn't, like, how did you get into powerlifting? Did you walk into a gym and find, I know you were at Elite, because I know we met at Elite, but take me through that. You know, were, did you, were you a football player or something like that, or was it just like, hey, I want to find something to do and, and, and found it? Right. So I actually started lifting weights when I was 12 years old. Um, it was bodybuilding. My dad gave me uh, Arnold's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding. I studied that book cover to cover, and we brought down... Um, dumbbells and some like the standard one inch plates from <laughs> from my dad's storage closet and I started lifting weights um, but on top of that I also played a lot of sports I was varsity wrestling for three years in high school I played one year of varsity football and I was on the varsity track and field team and while playing sports I was obviously still lifting weights and I found very quickly that being stronger correlated to being a better athlete basically almost instantaneously uh, this was especially true in wrestling. Um, when I was in my sophomore and junior year, I was in the 132 and 138 weight class. And at the time, I believe I had like a somewhere between a 275 and a 315 squat, some, somewhere around there. Um, nowhere even close to, <laughs> to what a powerlifter would consider <laughs> as, a, as a correct standard squat. But I was able to just essentially overpower most of my competitors. And I think my junior year... I had one loss on my season, which came at a sectional final um, in New York, so I didn't go to states. But I had a tremendous amount of success in athletics from lifting weights. And my senior year of high school, I actually had to transfer high schools. So I was for my first three years, I was with my hometown high school, and then my senior year, there was this essentially there was this schism. There was two school, two towns going to my high school. There was my hometown and our neighboring town. The neighboring town had all the kids. More or less, there was about 120 kids in a graduating class, 100 of which came from this other town. They pulled all their kids out. So it would have been left with 20 kids in my senior class. My parents said, okay, well, we don't want that for you, so we're going to send you to a private school. They sent me to a private school. I played football for that one single season. I did all the special teams, and I was a backup. Yeah, I was second-string linebacker, outside linebacker at 155 pounds, so I got my ass handed to me on a daily basis. But Yeah, but you seem like the kind of guy, special teams, I would not want to get tackled by you. I feel like I'd be returning <laughs> a ball and just you come out of nowhere and just lay me out. I would not want that. Yeah, there's there are some fun film uh, sessions coming out of a lot of a lot of those games. But toward um, toward the end of our season, well, actually, it was at the beginning of our season. Um, we had a I don't know why they did this, but at the time, my strength and conditioning coach had essentially a squat off. Everyone had to basically hit a one rep max squat. I hit a 435 squat somewhere in that range um and that ended up being the heaviest squat of my entire team so i beat out all the linemen i beat out all uh, both of our running backs who were these compared to me gigantic guys um and 
after that session, the coach comes up to me. He was one of these old school West Side power lifter guys. He was actually a USAPL lifter, but he trained conjugate and all this other fun stuff. So he comes up to me. He's like, hey, have you ever heard of powerlifting? And I was like, what's that? So I went home, researched it, and I found all the freaking old, uh, you know, Chuck Vogelpohl and Louis Simmons. And um, I believe at the time that was when the Lily Bridge family was kind of at their peak. And uh, at the time, this is when also Zaire was at like his insane peak compared to now where he's coming back and everything. Right then and there, I was hooked. I was, boom, instantly in love with it. And um, I finished out high school playing, you know, I did... Um, indoor track so i ran the 55 sprint at the 200 and the four by two my best 55 time i believe was 6.7 seconds my 200 was 23.8 i think was my best ever um and then after that it was basically okay well i'm done with my you know actual com competitive sports so i was like i need to i need to find something to relieve that competitive outlet and i found powerlifting and the rest was really history Wow, so you were really, I did not know you were track too, so you kind of did everything. So you had that competitive edge where it's like, you want me to lift something, you want me to run, you want me to beat this time, I can do it. And oh, that's yeah. so interesting because I find that, you know, people talk about power thing being this, the next big sport. I don't see that, but I see it being something for people like you or I where I played football, I played baseball. As an adult, I can't do that anymore. What can I do? This is something that builds the community, the camaraderie, and also that I can best what I did last year. I can best what I did six months ago. And I, I can resonate with that. That's very cool. Oh, yeah. Um, how, how you said, so was it just instant love as soon as you kind of started researching and doing power thing? You were like, okay, this is, this is for me. Or was it, did it take a little time? Like, did you have that typical like plateau where you, you know, six months in, you kind of got tired of it? Or was it like first love? Because I remember you as somebody, you not, okay, you didn't irritate me, but you were somebody at elite that was just always happy. Like you were someone, I remember you jumped up and I think you hit your head on the, on the, <laughs> the, the, you, I don't know if you broke something, but you were just some, someone who had infectious energy to the point where if I didn't know you, I was like, who, who the hell is this guy? So were you always like that? Was that just something that just clicked with, with sports in general? It's just like, Hey, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do it at a hundred percent. Or did it take time to kind of grow into it? Not really. It was because especially when I first started lifting weights, I was a very small guy. I mean, compared to now, I'm a, I'm a 100 kilo lifter. But at the time, I was always the smallest guy in my class. So I, I actually got bullied a lot um, going up through elementary, middle, and even high school. I was all the way up until I graduated. Um, changing schools, I, I found myself getting bullied a lot. And it, it was just one of these things that lifting weights just it was just a, a healthy outlet for me. And... And then on top of that, with sports and everything, I also found that, you know, the better I was at sports and the more that I achieved in sports, it was one of these things that I wasn't doing because, oh, my parents said, you know, you have to do this or you have to do that. It was just because I genuinely just completely enjoyed the process of becoming, you know, a better football player or being a better sprinter or <clears throat> or at the time when I was in wrestling, you know, my parent, I was incredibly blessed. My parents put me in all sorts of um, out-of-season um, clinics and coaching. And um, <clears throat> we went to out-of-season tournaments. You know, we traveled all over the place. So it, it was just always something that whenever I played sports, I always found that, you know, if you're doing something, do it 100%. You know, don't – or 110%. 110%. <laughs> there you go. I was waiting for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was – it's just something that I can't fully explain. It's just something just so deep down – in my heart that I just just so love that competitive drive to just want to get better day after day after day after day and you know obviously getting better than your competition is a part of it but just the process of seeing yourself of seeing the progression of yourself go from where you once were to where you are now and then even saying okay this is where I want to be in the future that was what always drove me and um you know, especially going back into, into like track and field and stuff, we had one guy on the team because I only ran track when I was in my senior year. Uh, and it was because I couldn't wrestle because there was there's this weird. So quick story. There's a quick uh, or there's a, a weird rule in New York that if you transfer high schools, if you're a varsity athlete, you cannot play that sport for one year. So when I left my hometown high school, I couldn't wrestle for that one year. We put in appeals. My mom, um, I think, even lawyered up. It was a giant thing and then it came back i was actually practicing with my new high school and the the ad pulls me in and was like the new york state said you can't wrestle so that was just a giant you know kick in the chops for me 
<clears throat> but my football coach was also the track and field coach. And he was like, dude, you know, you're, you're 40 on, on, um, <clears throat> excuse me, on grass in cleats was like four, six. He was like, you need to be on a track on the track team. You, we need you on the 55 and the four by two and the 200. So I was like, Okay, so the guy who was starting for three years, I would race him every single day, and it was just me and him had that same drive. We wanted to be just, we kept just wanting to beat each other. So I remember leaving those practices drenched in sweat, just like completely out of breath. But over the course of those few months of me running track, I just found myself getting better and better and better, and that's what drove me, you know. It's and I still experience that to this day. I think that knowing you, that sounds so like you have that flame. I feel like so many people. You know, it, motivation can be internal, it could be external, it could be a, a combination of things, but you've always struck me as somebody that would overcome the odds, right? You see it in powerlifting. You see people that will squat 500 for the first time. They're like, I'm going to squat 600 in six months. You're like, no, you're not. You'll no. be, be lucky <laughs> if you squat 600. And I think that you were somebody that, to me at least, from the outside looking in, did beat the odds. Because mm-hmm. obviously we'll get into your story later, but... You seem like the guy that when someone says, can you do this? Or you ask yourself if you can, you just do it. You find a way to do it. Oh, absolutely. Like you said, you'll sit there drenched in sweat, willing to put in whatever work you have to to get to the point you're at. And I think that that is something that can overcome. Like people will go into the gym and go, oh, I don't have the leverages. Oh, I don't have this. Oh, this. But it's like you can overcome that. You might not be the world champion, but right. you can overcome that if you just put the work and you don't, it's not even doubt. It's just like, instead of saying, I can't do this, you just say, I can and I will. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just so interesting to, to sit here and talk to you long form about it because I've always seen you be someone that no matter what the obstacles were, you just wouldn't complain. I'm sure maybe inside you do, but you're not someone who's complaining and lamenting and all this stuff. You just say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You're going to doubt me. That's fine. I'm going to do it. I'll be a world champion. Absolutely. And that's always struck me as something that's very inspiring because it's so easy, especially as becoming an adult. It's so easy to go, oh, I have to do this. Oh, I can't lift today. I can't do that. No, no, you can. You can find a way. You know, it's the same as when I was a trainer and people would say, well, I work 50 hours a week. Okay, you could still train. You yeah. want to lose weight? You can do it. Absolutely. I had a guy that would go wake up. He had 30 minutes. He would do push-ups for 30 minutes. Okay, that's not the greatest thing in the world, but you're doing something. Exactly. And you're you're telling you you're not preventing yourself. You're not making up excuses. You're doing it. So when you have more time, you'll continue to put more time in and more work in. And I don't think people realize just how important it is to just do that. Because when you limit oh, yeah. yourself, you can't just start again, right? You should mm-hmm. you should just always strive to try to reach the goals that you have because you can find a way to do it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Could not agree more. <laughs> um, so take me through. So people who don't know you, you sound like a very competitive guy. Um, you, the, when did I first, because I remember seeing you at Collegiate Nationals. That happened before the injury, right? That was, that yes. was pre, yes. Okay, yes. so I'm going to paint the picture for everybody. So I knew Dan very little at, in the gym, but I had just traveled for Collegiate Nationals 2021. Correct. So you guys, everyone who's powerlifter, you guys know that when you go to a, especially a national event, most lifters have two coaches, three coaches. You have a coaching team there. You have all these people that are there for you, right? I remember going to collegiate nationals and popping into the back room because I was a vendor. I wasn't obviously, I wasn't competing. Uh, and you see all these guys and I look to my left and I look and see Dan by himself just warming up on his own, on his own combo rack. Nobody with him, just by himself. And my first thought was like because I was somewhat new to powerlifting at a national level I'm like this guy's gonna lose like this guy's gonna like you need somebody there there's need you can't do this alone like mm-hmm. how are you gonna and then lo and behold you win the whole thing you become the national champion for your weight class yep you know or collegiate champion and that that struck me as number one if you want something you can earn it number two you don't need anybody there right if you're prepared no. like that was especially after our conversation that we had at impact zone that I'll get to in a second yep. it blew my mind that it's a sport that you have all these people in your corner and you can't do it without them and you're sitting here programming yourself coaching and handling yourself and you were more prepared by yourself than any of those other people were Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll say my first thing myself. You know, I do agree with that because leading up into 2021 Junior Nationals and Collegiate Nationals down in Baton Rouge, you know, I, I spent every waking moment because also at the time I had just started a full time job and I had just got out of college and everything. So I was juggling, you know, a professional life. What and, were you doing for? So I'm actually still at the same company now. Uh, it's a company called Marotta Controls in Booton, New Jersey. And um, we manufacture valves for the Navy. And I do a lot of work on hardware that goes into nuclear submarines. 
So uh, I build, test, and assist um, very rarely, but I do assist sometimes with customers that come in and they have questions about our products and stuff. So I'll guide them from a technical aspect as to, you know, maybe what a troubleshooting a problem or replacing a part if it's possible or if it has to get sent back for um, for overhaul. Were you always coaching yourself? I'm not talking like early, early on, but for the most part at that point, were you coaching, handling yourself? You didn't have a coach. You, you kind of did everything yourself. I was coaching and handling myself up until <laughs> after Raw Nationals this year. So for seven, for six and a half, roughly six, six and a half full years, I was coaching, handling and programming myself. Can you take me through? Because just again, for people that listen, you have a coach. You ha- I have a coach myself. It is instrumental. I, I was yeah. self-coaching for a while. I couldn't do it. Just coaching myself to be mediocre was hard enough. H- how was it hard for you? Because the ego gets involved, right? You have you don't have accountability because it's your own accountability. Was it difficult to do that, or is that just an easy thing for you, right? Was it was that a necessity that you said, "Hey, I'm going to coach myself," or was it like, "I know I'm going to put myself in the best position possible. I don't need anyone else out there." That's that was exactly what I was thinking. It was one of these things that, you know, <clears throat> and at the time I was like, you know, I I had bought all sorts of literature and and studied you know, getting strong to begin with. And it was just one of these things that, you know, I, I knew deep down that I could do this, you know, and um, I had, I, I ran every freaking program under the sun from, you know, 531. And I ran small off for a while, which was awful. Um, and then I took bits and pieces. I even ran conjugate for a little while. And I got also, I got injured from that. So I don't do that anymore. But, <laughs> but I studied so many different you know, training and coaching philosophies. And I basically compiled these programs based off of a little bit of what a lot of other people were doing. So I saw from the beginning that obviously linear periodization is very, very effective. Um, Then it slowly kind of transitioned into more of like a DUP style of training. Um, And then it even transitioned from that into like this uh, wave loading type of philosophy of training. And on top of that, what I would do is at the beginning of a calendar year, I'd say, okay, you know, this is my goal. And especially for 2021, this was the biggest thing. Um, Cause in 2020, I had just come off of a horrible performance at the 2020 collegiate nationals, which was held by uh, Steve Mann in the Philadelphia area, some random little warehouses, like right also like in the middle of COVID. So it was awful. Um, but in, from a performance standpoint, I had a absolutely awful meet. I think I went four or five for nine, um, my third deadlift, I pulled to try and get myself into third, into fifth place, actually, and missed it. I remember driving home from that meet. I was, that was like the first really, really bad meet I had ever really had. And it was something that I looked back in my training and I saw, wow, I really let my ego take over. I was taking, so at that, at that collegiate nationals, I think I, I think I squatted 550 and that was the only squat that I got. I missed my opener, then I jumped to 550, and I got it, and I jumped to something else, and I think I missed it again. So I'm looking at my training, and I'm like, why was I taking 530-plus for, like, six straight weeks in a row? Why was I doing that? Why was I doing, like, with bench pressing especially, I moved, I was, at the time, I was, like, pinky inside of the ring. Then I went to pointer finger on the ring for whatever reason, and it was, and it worked out awful because I didn't have enough time to train and get ready for it. And then... You know, and then for deadlift, same thing. I was doing. I tried. Oh, if I can just get my, <laughs> if I can get my sumo stance like Sean Noriega, have my toes on the plates, I'll be able to deadlift more. And then my hips got all sorts of messed up, and I had all sorts of problems. So then going into 2021, I told myself I am not going to let that happen to me again. I'm going to train smart. I'm going to train intelligently, and I'm not going to let my, let myself do that again. So another a big thing that I also did was. Um, this is also around the time when Steve DeNovi released a lot of his free templates. So, shout out Steve DeNovi. Yeah, shout out Steve DeNovi. So I um, I downloaded his <clears throat> one of his templates, and I didn't follow it exactly to a T. I did do some modifications on my own, just also based off of my own training data and everything. But between that meet in 2020, and then I did the Baton Rouge meet, uh, 2021 Collegiate Nationals and Junior Nationals, um, I put... 23 pounds on my squat my bench went from 330 to 369 my deadlift went from the six i think at june at the collegiate nationals 2020 i pulled 640 i pulled 683 pretty easily went for the american record on my third and missed it but i had one on my second so i was like okay well we could just send it at this point was 
was CNATS twenty twenty the the next meet you had was twenty twenty one. So you kind of you didn't do anything in the middle. So it was kind of like this this in your opinion horrible performance, and you really just turned around and said this next meet is going to be the same meet in a year more or less, and you won it. I mean that's yeah. incredible. <laughs> you took a template from a coach. And you modified it to what you thought you could do. I mean, if you asked any other athlete, if you asked a thousand athletes to do that, I'm pretty sure a thousand of them would fail. I don't think you have a lot of people that could do that. I couldn't do it. You know, again, the fact that you were able to hold yourself accountable, Mm -hmm. have this horrible meet, and be able to just, again, remove your ego and say, what did I do wrong? Yep. And fix it is incredible, is absolutely incredible. And I think it's a testament to, again, the hard work. We are, Everyone says hard work, right? There's certain words that are bullshit because everyone says them, right? Everyone's of a course. hard worker. Everyone's the hardest worker in the room. But yeah. <laughs> th- it's a testament to your drive and desire, to like the deep desire to want this thing, that you could do that in a year's time, turn around and do that, working a full-time job, right? Yep. D- you know, that is that is incredible to me. Um one other thing I wanted to point out too, and it blew my mind when I when I heard this. So I obviously saw you at CNATS, yep. saw you win, and then a few months later I ran into you at Impact Zone, where I was my home gym at the time. And I remember because I I was a coach at the time. I was handling. I have about ten athletes, right? I'm not I'm not a big coach. I'm definitely not one of the best coaches at all. I'm mediocre, but I know how to handle it. I like doing it. Right. What blew my mind was we had the conversation at Impact Zone. I said, you know, take me through your you know the win and this and that. And you said to me because your opponent was Nico. Nico was really the, the it was you and you and him. And I don't even yeah. think, at the time I don't think people thought you were going to win. I don't think you were favored at all. Was there really? I don't know. I don't know how much. Yeah. So nobody even knew who I was at the point because at that. At that moment in time, I mean, Nico was, I think he was still training up here. I think he was still training at Adelante at the time. And um, it, it was really all eyes on him because everyone saw, okay, well, and this was also right before the, the IPF and the USAPL kind of had their schism and that they weren't sending a junior team. And <laughs> I, st- I still remember this. Um, Nico, I know you're going to be listening to this, so I'm, 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 I'm going to say it anyway. I'm driving home from work one day and um, actually I was going to the gym from my job to actually I was at another company in Secaucus and I was training at, at Iron Arena for that meet in particular. And I was, um, I was on Instagram before I went to the gym and I, I saw Nico posted that, um, the IPF or that the USAPL wasn't sending a junior team to the IPF worlds. And he said, Oh, this is my last chance to go or whatever. So then I posted the same exact thing, saw that he saw it. And then I saw that a whole bunch of other people that don't follow me started looking at my story. And I'm like, Okay, people definitely have no clue who I am right now. And I also wasn't really posting a ton of stuff. I think I was posting like, you know, all the roads to 700 pound deadlift or whatever the hell. But I wasn't posting my other lifts. And at least when I look at that, it's one of two things. It's either it's going really well or it's going really, really bad. Um, and then and then going into a little bit of your point where I think you're taking the, taking the story is um, I did my research on lifters in general, especially junior lifters. And I found that on average, right, if you miss your third squat, especially on strength, if you miss your third squat on strength, you are 60 to 70% less likely to make your third deadlift. So taking this knowledge, going into junior nationals, I take my third squat, 260 kilos, 573 pounds, and I got it. Um, Nico missed his second squat. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was soft knees. I, one of them was soft knees. He came up and they gave him the, the rack command and it was like, that's what it was. I personally also didn't fully agree with that call. It should have been, it should have been a good lift, but he missed it. It is what it is on the national level, especially with USAPL. That's how it's, that's what's going to happen. Third squat. He went out and missed it on strength. I remember watching it from the back, right by where the warm-up room was. He missed it. I said to myself, I won. Sorry, Nico. <laughs> no, but no, but it's so funny you say it because again, I'll, I'll shape it the way I was gonna earlier when I talked to you at Impact Zone, and I was like, you know, how do you feel about the meet? And you mm-hmm. said that to me. You were like, well, when Nico missed his second and then his third, he was like sixty three percent likely to miss his third deadlift. And I'm yes. like, whoa, 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 whoa. The fact that, and I'm sure some of the top coaches do this, but to me, I never thought to do that. Right? Mm-hmm. Open power thing is there. Yeah. Beyond their <laughs> training at that moment, you can see how they compete in meets and it blew my mind to think wait a second this guy went alone to the meet you if you look at me i don't you know if, i didn't know you i beg this guy's gonna lose gonna come in last place he's just here because he's a placeholder you right. won because you did more research than anyone else in that room you have everyone else has three people standing around them and those people are fucking useless they're not doing anything <laughs> you're sitting here by yourself and you win because you can see that and instead of just saying oh he misses third you're like no he also is a sumo puller 
there's a chance he misses his third deadlift now exactly. too. Exactly. That's that was when you said that to me. I, I mean, I'm very rarely speechless. Let's be honest. That was one where I was like, I never even thought. Like it opened my mind to the possibilities of really doing your research. You can't again. You can hide your your prep. You can't hide your numbers from your last few meets. You can see the numbers. So that was really incredible. That you did more beyond just because people like you. You you go through prep. You're a week out. You say I did all the work that I could. Not really. If you're at a national level, you can do more work, right? You can absolutely. Look at what that person is capable of doing. Hey, are they a neurotic lifter? Do they miss their second and third? Do they miss their bench? How do they lift? Like, do they need leg drive? Do they have a high arch? Like, there's so many things you can look at. And not to say it's a guarantee, but it, it was really incredible when I heard that because it made it, instead of just being a physically, like, capable and, 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 you know, really desirable, I want to compete and, and, and motivate yourself, you were able to also turn around and prepare for the meet on another level, which was absolutely incredible to see. And you won. You you know, like, again, nobody yeah, knew who you were yeah. except for a small, you know, at the time, I knew who you were. I didn't think you were going to win. You turn around, <laughs> you win the meet, you know, and it was just incredible to see that. And I think that at that point, your stock was at an all-time high, right, going into 2022. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. And... I think that this story that we're going to tell is probably the story that is what what is the most compelling thing I've heard in a long time with powerlifting. Um, and I'll let you take it kind of from there because I don't know how you want to approach it, but yeah. So for the rest of 2021, after, um, junior nationals, I went to the USPA's drug testing nationals, won the 181 weight class convincingly pulled 733, um, at 181, which was, and I believe still is the USPA junior national national record. Um, then after that in October, I had qualified for the, for the first ever Virginia pro, um, for the, with the Virginia pro qualifier down in Virginia. And I, after that meet, it was like, okay, this year, I still look back on 2021 as my best ever year of powerlifting because I was on an absolute freaking tear. I took third overall at the pro qualifier. I won USPA drug testing nationals. I got best overall junior at that meet. I lost by be I lost best overall lifter for the open for drug testing nationals to one guy, um, Dwardley Edward, who's an absolute animal. And then obviously collegiates went uh, junior nationals went so well. <clears throat> so two weeks after um, the pro qualifier, um, I used to ride my I used to have a motorcycle. I had a uh, Harley Davidson XG five hundred little tiny bike. It was my first bike. And I was riding at this point for year about two years. It's coming out the end of my second season. And October fifteenth, I um, went out for a quick ride, and I was taking. I was going down a road that was something I've I've ridden down a million times. Beautiful fall day. It was about four thirty in the afternoon. Um, sun was still up. Dry road conditions. Really good day for a ride. So it was a Friday, and. Um, it was rush hour, so I'm coming down this road, and it's a double line road, and there's a turn that isn't great, but is one that I've always kind of like. Okay, well, I've gone through it about a million times, so I know the road. <clears throat> I'm going, th I'm going through the turn, and um, kid in a little sedan, in a uh, yeah, he was in a little sedan, crossed over a double line trying to go down a side road, and um, hit me head on. Um, I got thrown off the bike, 200 feet in the opposite direction. Um, I can't confirm or deny this, but I heard from bystanders that I bounced off the grill of an incoming pickup truck and then landed in the road. Um, so I was, I was conscious for this whole thing and, um, it's, it's tough, obviously, you know, tell a story, but, um, <clears throat> first thing I did was I wiggled my toes and I'm like, okay, I'm not paralyzed. This is a good thing. Then I touch my, each one of my fingers to my mitt, to my thumb on both my hands. I'm like, okay, my arms are still here. That's good. I go to wiggle my right leg a little bit, make sure it's still there. I could feel it. I do it for my left leg. I couldn't feel it. And right then and there, I went into an instant panic. At this point, there are people on top of me and stuff. And they're like, don't move, don't move, don't move. Um, and I'm like, you know, obviously in a full state of panic. And um, I asked people around me, I'm like, okay, is there blood? They said, there's no blood. Now, mind you, I was also wearing full gear. I had a helmet. I had a full helmet, Kevlar jacket, riding pants, boots, gloves, the whole nine. And um, they said, you're, there's no blood and your leg is still attached to your body. But the problem was my left leg, my left foot was underneath my right calf with my pinkies down on the road. Um, so if you can imagine this position in your head. But my, the top of my leg was oriented normally. So the, the, my leg broke and then twisted. So the um, EMTs show up. They shut the road down and everything. I, I was able to kind of 
look up a little bit and look around, it it looked like a bomb went off. There was pieces of my bike everywhere in the road. Um, I couldn't really see the car, um, but it, it, it was just, a, it looked like a, a scene out of like a war movie. So <clears throat> um, EMT show up and um, they're looking at my leg and they're like, all right, dude, we're going to have to straighten your leg before we put you on a backboard. He was like, you can scream, you can curse, you can cry, do whatever you do, whatever you got to do, but we have to straighten it. So I was like, do it, just do it. Straighten my leg and it was the most painful thing I think I've ever experienced in my entire life. I actually felt the two pieces of my femur moving um, in my leg. So they load me on the backboard. Um, then they tilted me on my side and that was also horrendously painful. They put me on the backboard, put me on a stretcher, uh, put me in the in the ambulance and brought me to the hospital. And at this point, they also gave they also gave me fentanyl in the ambulance. So I instantly was like seeing, I felt like I was floating. Um, get to the hospital, they do CAT scans, MRI, and X-rays. I had no nothing wrong with my skull, my brain, my neck, my spine, spinal cord, no internal bleeding, just a horrendously broken leg. So. Um, They um, they bring me basically into a waiting area. At this point, I'm, I'm, a, I'm able to see my legs. They had me kind of sitting straight up. I had to actually leave my leg at about a 45 degree angle from my body because it was so swollen. I couldn't just leave my legs normally at, it, at their sides. Um, so I was in a waiting area for a while, then they put me in a room. Now, also, this is toward the end of 2021. So there was still a lot of really crazy COVID measures in the hospitals, especially. So I would, so they put me in a hospital room and I was alone in that hospital room because my parents came to the hospital and saw me and everything. And they were with me up until they basically told them they had to go home. They put me in a hospital, in a hospital room at around nine o'clock at night. And I got no sleep, obviously. Um, I didn't get surgery until nine o'clock the next day, but that whole night, you also, you, when you're in a hospital, you hear a lot of other crazy things. You hear a lot of screaming and other you know a lot of beeping and things going on and mentally it was it, it pretty much broke me i didn't know what was going to happen everything was going through my mind from oh they're going to do a surgery but what if i have an infection or what if my bone deteriorates or or, or whatever um so next day they bring me into surgery the doctors told me before i got into surgery that um it would be an hour and a half procedure in and out no problem i go in they uh knock me out, wake up all groggy, while later, and uh, doctor, the anesthesiologist actually looks at me and says, yeah, that took three hours because they had to give me more muscle relaxer than the average person because of, because of the muscle mass in my leg. They couldn't actually separate the bone because there was a two-inch displacement at the break site, and then on top of that, it actually shattered, so they had to actually move the bones a little bit farther apart to make my legs the same length again before they inserted a nine millimeter titanium rod, which I have from one inch above the start of basically where my knee is all the way up into my hip. I also have two screws in my knee. I have one up in my hip and the procedure went great. I had no problems or anything. Um, next day, the doctor comes in and he was in street clothes. So he just kind of was like, he just came in to see how I was doing, which I really appreciated. He sits down in the chair. First sentence, first question he asked me, he didn't say anything else. He's like, do you deadlift? And I'm like, occasionally. And, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, because he was like, first of all, your bones are like concrete. He's like, that's what saved you from that accident. Because six hours before my accident, there was another motorcycle accident that happened the same way as mine, but the guy died. Um, he was a little bit of an older gentleman from what I understand. Um, but the same exact mode of the accident happened. And he unfortunately passed away from it. So he said the fact that and he was like, how long have you been lifting weights for? And I was 20, I had just, it was actually a month after my 23rd birthday. And I was like, I've been lifting weights since I was 12. And he was like, yeah, that's what saved your life. Because my rib cage was completely fine. I actually got, when I got thrown onto the hood of the car, I left this big giant tent in the, in the hood when I got thrown back. Um, he was like, yeah, that you have no bone bruising or anything in your upper body. I didn't even have any, I had no bruises waist up. It was, it was an unbelievable. So they discharged me that day on that Sunday. They um, they gave me a walker, and I, I felt like such an old person. I'm walking around with this walker. 
I couldn't put any pressure on the leg. That's how even putting my toe, t touching my toe to the floor was horrendously painful. So my parents, and again, my, my family and my girlfriend at the time, now fiance Sarah, were amazing. They took care of me so, so well for those three months, um, the first three months following the surgery. And I, I really am just so blessed. Um, so we get back to my house, um, about a half hour car ride home. Now, my childhood house that I've now moved out of, um, there's many sets of stairs to get from the driveway to the foyer to the living room to where my bedroom was. Basically, we had to come up with a system of trying to get me to walk, just even get me up the stairs because I couldn't, I mean, right now we think, okay, just go upstairs. We don't even think about it. I had to stand there and my dad basically put his shoulder under my left armpit and would kind of crouch and pick me up slowly as we went up the stairs and that first time going up the stairs I was in so much pain I legitimately almost passed out we get into my living room I sit down in a, in a chair they get me an ottoman to put my leg up on and I just my mind was still so so fucked up that I just started crying my eyes out and just thinking to myself like is this the end of everything so the doctor told me when I got discharged to come back in 10 days, do a, another x-ray, make sure everything is in place, everything's lined up, and that there's no infections or anything. They, took, they would take all the wrappings and stitching out and everything. Uh, I now have a six-inch scar on my thigh, on the left side of my left thigh, where they actually went in and had to realign the bones. So I went in for the 10 days. After it, for this whole time, the doctor told me no touching weights, period. Not even like, you know, sitting there doing bicep curls on the couch nothing i go back for my 10 days doctor looks at and takes all the wrapping off takes the stitches out he's like okay we have no infections the incisions healed up perfectly um now it's just you're looking at essentially 365 days of recovery because the femur is the biggest bone in the body hardest the, it's the longest recovery time of any injury for a, a skeletal injury and he's like it's and he was like listen it's going to be painful it's not going to be fun so <laughs> I'm in there and I'm like, okay, that's cool. Can I go back to the gym and do waist up stuff? Waist up, nothing lower body. And he was like, yeah, you can. It was that next day I, I went back to Elite and started. I started a program where I was bench pressing five days a week. It was all Larson bench. <clears throat> um, I was doing, it was actually, it was, <laughs> it was actually kind of fun because all I would do is bench press and biceps and triceps and shoulders and back. And it was me at least doing something. It took about another, so the accident happened in October. It wasn't, it wasn't until about January that I was able to actually get my foot down on the floor again. So as soon as I was able, to, like from a bench pressing position, and I was able to start walking a little bit more normally because I was going to PT twice a week, I was really intense with my PT. I was telling my physical therapist at the time, it's like, I need definitive measurements to tell me how I'm doing because my life is ruled by numbers. You know, I graduated from CCSU with a degree in manufacturing engineering. I went to engineering school for four years. My whole life was run by numbers. So I was like, so they put me in a, in a device that measured my knee flexion. Day one, I had like 91 degrees of knee flexion. I don't remember what normal was. I think it's like 130 degrees or something. But I was like, okay, we're at 91. Let's see if by, because it was Tuesdays and Thursdays I was going. I was like, okay, Thursday, let's get to 94. And it was, okay, Tuesday, I want 98. Then it was, okay, now I'm going to push to 105 for Thursday. So within, I believe it was six weeks that I was off from work doing physical therapy, I got my knee back to full flexion, full range of motion within those six weeks. Still, I had no strength in the leg, though, but I was able to get the motion back, which meant all the scar tissue and the inflammation was breaking up. So that's also when I started really pushing with my, <laughs> with my bench press training. And me being me, I was psychotic. I wanted to start, lift, start deadlifting again. So middle of January I said screw it I'm just gonna deadlift and see what happens I started with just the bar and I was like okay conventionally we feel good went to a plate felt good went to two plates felt good went to three plates started feeling pain but I was like no we're not done here yet because I was able to still my thought process was okay I could still walk and the doctor said I'm only bound by pain so screw it I'm just gonna keep going four plates femur still fractured got four plates went up to 500 pounds conventionally and I pulled it 
It felt like my leg was snapping off, but I pulled 500 pounds with a femur that was still in two pieces. And <laughs> a couple months later, I actually found out I had a non-union, which basically means the bones didn't fuse. And I had to actually go to a specialist for this, but he was like, what have you been doing? And I was like, uh, nothing. They're like, no, seriously, were, were you lifting lower body? And I was like, yeah. They're like, yeah, you're going to have to stop doing that completely for six months and use these special devices and therapies and see a different physical therapist. And at that moment, I said to myself, okay, we're going to do this right because I still want to get back to three lift. I was doing a lot of bench only stuff. I actually competed bench only with my femur still in two pieces at USPA drug tested nationals 2022 in Atlanta, Georgia. And it was in, yeah, it was in May. And I actually, 374 pounds. So you bench 374 with a broken femur. Correct. And actually during that time in my prep for it, because that was my first attempt, my second attempt, I strained my pec really bad and I was out. But leading into that prep, I actually still have this pinned on my Instagram. I benched 405 for the first time in my life in April of 2022. It was two weeks. I'm pretty sure it was April of 2022. It was two weeks after I was told I have a non-union that my femur was still in two pieces. So I basically benched 405 with no legs. I had to stop you right here. We'll continue on. But I just have <laughs> to. I mean, just how I've obviously heard your story, but just hearing mm-hmm. you laid out like that. I've had things that were a fraction of that, 1% of that, that made me almost give up powerlifting or almost give up on something. Mm. I mean, you sitting in the, in the in the bed at the hospital that first night, did you give up on powerlifting? I know you said it broke you, and knowing you as somebody who, I could tell you you can't push your car home and you'd fucking push your car home. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did it, was it that the first time where you're like, I might never be able to do this again? Or was there like almost a delusion where you're like, no, 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 no. Despite these odds against me right now, I don't care. I'll find a way to get back to it. It was even before the hospital room. I was laying in the road. I remember so vividly. This is something I, I make myself remember when I'm right now, because I'm obviously fully healed when I'm training and things are getting hard. When I was laying in the road and they were putting me on the backboard, I was looking up and I saw three power lines and a blue sky behind it. Laying there on that backboard, looking at those power lines, I told myself, I will get back to three lift powerlifting and I will be a national champion one day. Again, it, it won't. I, I remember saying to myself, it might not be next year. I was like, well, it definitely won't be next year. It's like, it might not be the year after that. Might not be the year after that. But I will get back to what I love to do no matter what. And then in the hospital bed that night, I remember thinking to myself, aside from, you know, basically having to reckon with the fact that I, I legitimately almost died, you know, a couple hours ago, I was thinking to myself, man, this is going to make for one hell of a comeback story. And that was what kept me going so much. And also on top of that, my family and my amazing fiance have been, they were so supportive at the time. I was still, me and my fiance were just, we were boyfriend, girlfriend at the time. She came. She was living in Connecticut because I met, met her at school. She was living out in Connecticut. I was living in New York. She came to my house, slept on the floor on an air mattress, and would wake up with me at 2 o'clock because every morning for about three weeks straight, I woke up at 2 in the morning in excruciating pain and had to go to the bathroom. So she would actually get me out of the bed while I was, like, screaming in pain. Not like, oh, fuck, this hurts. Like, actually, like, oh, my God, ah. And then the whole time I'm cursing up a storm and, you know, this fucking asshole, I'm gonna fucking beat the shit, like freaking the fuck out. She would get up and be like, okay, okay, calm down, calm down. She'd bring me to the bathroom, bring me back. You know, my parents were incredibly helpful this whole time. My dad, luckily, he works from home, so he was able to help me out with a lot of things. My mom ended up taking a lot of time off, too. Um, my bro- I think my brother wasn't, either he was, no, he was in school, but he, I remember he stayed at home for a little while longer so he could be with me. So just from that aspect, my family and my amazing fiance have been instrumental in my healing and I truly cannot thank them enough. But, and then on top of that, I'm sitting there on, this is in my story archives for sure on my Instagram. I'm what I was sitting there watching, um, footage of old IPF bench press worlds, watching these guys, especially the 74 kilo men. This is before the new bench rule came into effect. I was watching their technique and I'm thinking to myself, okay, how do I replicate that? How do I do that without being able to use my left leg? How do I at least start doing that? So, and then I'm and then I'm looking at old footage of myself from you know 
all the nationals I had done and the pro qualifier and just I just kept watching those videos and all it did was just fuel the fire for me of I will get back to that level and I will be better than that because at the 2021 drug testing nationals I totaled 1692 at 181 520.62 dots and I was like I will beat that dot score and obviously that total one day again it's like it will take a long time and at this point we're coming up on two and a half years since the accident and it's still taking a long time but I just told myself this is not the end of my story this is not the end this I will I was like I refuse to go out like this on if it was something different obviously if you know I lost my leg which thank Christ I didn't then it's a completely different story but I was like I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I've broken bones in my past. I broke my arm snowboarding, my right shoulder blade mountain biking. I broke my thumb snowboarding at one point. It's like, I'm thinking to myself, it's a, it's a broken bone. It's okay. You'll be back. I think also, I, you said it multiple times, but I think one thing that has to be pointed out is the fact that you're a drug-free powerlifter. You're yes. not on PEDs, which as people who know who take PEDs, that can help the recovery process. Oh, yeah. So yeah. you broke a femur completely natty. Mm-hmm. When was your first... So you said, did you take the full six months after the PT had base or after the doctor had said you have to, or did you still cheat a little bit? Because I remember you deadlifting, and again, it's it's in prep or not... 405 after getting hurt like that like the fact that you sit here and say yeah you know i'm not at my dots that i was in 2021 it's mm. only been two years it has not yeah. been i mean for a normal i don't consider you a normal human being i'm gonna be honest <laughs> with you. you for a normal human being that would be completely acceptable to just never power lift again or to yeah. never squat again or to say hey i just can't do this i mean again i know people who have had like back injuries and been like i can't do this anymore oh yeah and, and i'm not faulting those people i'm not saying that they're you know lesser because they did that it's acceptable right you could have walked away from it mm-hmm. and if, instead you let it fuel you because again let's be honest i think as a human being we all do things that at the start people don't believe in right right with 110 people did not believe me i was told by my boss i was told by people don't do this this is stupid and eventually those people ended up being my biggest supporters and now if you ask them they're like oh i'm a huge supporter i always was i'm like no you weren't yeah of so like course. you made because if you ask that doctor if you ask those people they believe in you but if you hey, will this guy ever compete in powerlifting again I'm like no probably not or at a, or a lesser percentage right but knowing you i mean even if you did lose your leg i guarantee you'd find a way to be benching squatting and like you'd find a way you'd be one leg like the one guy uh, i forget his name that that does one like you'd find a way to do yep. it and i think that's what makes you a special person is that you you can feel the doubt you can feel the pain you can feel the suffering but you still say i don't care i'm going to put everything out there even if i fell the first time even if i have a non union fracture and i can't i oh you know again that might have spelled uh, i can't do this anymore right it's just incredible to listen to the story because I've heard it, the shortened version, to hear that full story, you could have given up so many times and, and nobody would have ever faulted you for that. I mean, the fact that you were able to get hit, bounce off a car, come back in six months, bench 405 as a PR with a fractured femur, yep. and then have to be told by the PT, like, listen, you can't, you know, <laughs> I've hurt my back and then my, you know, my, my coach is like, hey, don't deadlift for two weeks and I deadlift in like 10 days and I feel crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you had a PT telling you, hey, you have a fractured femur, don't deadlift and you, <laughs> you pull 500 pounds. <laughs> like that is, it is so hard to put that into perspective, right? I think so many times in life you hear other people's stories and mm-hmm. I can't walk through your shoes. That is a fucking accomplishment i mean the <laughs> fact that you were able to do that and not even mentally say you were going to do it you did it mm-hmm. i have no doubt you will get beyond that original dots and more man i i just because you are healthy now and mm-hmm. you just have that mentality that some everyone loves to walk around being kobe mentality bro kobe mama mentality most of those people get folded over by the simplest things in life oh, and yeah. i think you truly have what i would call like the dirty dad mentality fuck kobe like no no not, not no disrespect to kelly but like yeah, let's yeah, not yeah, use yeah. his name you have a mentality that i think is a very rare thing that w- the things the the, the, the the sequences in your life that have happened would have folded a, a lesser person over and would have given up they would have given up or they would oh, yeah. have just like maybe like squatted as a joke or like you know walking would have been their workout um, and it's just incredible to hear you you say that. Um, what are your plans this year? Yeah, so... And where's your training at, by the way? Training's been going great. So right now I am... So actually I am now under uh, my good friend Alex Jensen with uh, Fatigue State. Shout out, Fatigue State. Um, I've actually... 
he he hasn't been my official coach, but going into Raw Nationals for twenty twenty for this year, or for twenty twenty three, um, he was really like my consultant. I went to I basically would write my own stuff and say, hey, what do you think? You know, especially coming back from such a big injury and saying, hey, I want to do all these things at nationals, and also at the time I was deadlifting conventionally, so I had to take a lot of different. You know, I, I couldn't. I had to look at data, training data from years and years and years ago because I pulled sumo for a, basically all the way up until my accident, and it was for about three or four years. Last time I pulled conventionally was, jeez, oh, I think I was like a sub junior one sixty three, and from the, and then after that it was sumo for I think at least four or five years. Um, but at least as of right now, training is going incredibly incredibly well i've finally kind of gotten back into a good flow of momentum and alex has been a massive massive help because i'm also the type of person that i don't slow down ever it's always go or nothing and alex has really been amazing in keeping me from doing something stupid especially right now because right now um the next thing on the schedule for me is uh 2024 uspa drug testing nationals in las vegas nevada um, I actually got invite. Well, I'm waiting on the invite, but I had already contacted the meet directors about this. They they are having an all star day, um, a quote unquote pro day, where 470. Uh, first round of invites started in December, and it was for 500 plus dots for men, 475 for women, uh, for November for this January 1st. Now it's 475 dots and higher for men, and I think 450 plus for women. So I got a 478 something dots at yeah I got a 478 dots at Raw Nationals. So I reached out to the meet director. I said, hey, listen, you know, I know I won't be in the first round of invites, but I want to be at the top of the list for the next round. And there were, and I got an email back. They said, yeah, you know, we're going to have you in there for sure. So that is what's coming up next. And for the for that meet, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I want a 530 plus dots at 100 at 100 kilo weight class in the 100 kilo weight class. Um, I would like to squat something. Anything north of 300 kilo is would be incredible for me. I would. I'm really, really pushing for a 200 kilo bench press. That's been something that, up until about, up until actually the Baton Rouge meet, I did not think I would ever have even a prayer of thinking about. I remember thinking when I first got in the powerlifting and I had a 275 bench press. Oh, you know, 200 kilos. That's for you know the at the time when USAPL was still with IPF. I was like, oh, that's you know like 120 kilo, maybe a couple 105s, and like the super heavyweight men and guys on juice, and. Now I'm at a point where I can honestly say to myself, it's a it's a legitimate actual goal that I could hit. So that's that's the big number for me for nationals that I want to hit. And then for deadlift, because USPA uses uh, the Kabuki bar, anything north of 750. Because um, my I've, I've now also this is another part of the whole coming back from my injury story. When I was training for my qualifier meet for Raw Nationals. I in my, my squat training had just gone so 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 well. I actually hit an all-time PR squat for myself. Before that, my best ever squat was 611. I hit 618 pounds high bar in flats. I think it was a week out from the meet that I used to qualify myself for Raw Nationals. Um, and then my bench press also hit I hit something like 407. So I had hit all-time PRs on both those lifts. I still haven't beaten the 733 from 2021. I watch the video of myself hitting that 7:33 every single night before I go to bed, and I tell myself, not only will I get to that point, I'm gonna hit it in training for an undisclosed amount of reps. It won't. It, I'm not saying it's at a 10. That's <laughs> that's not gonna happen. But if you hit it for 10, I'm calling ESPN. All right, we're, <laughs> we're figuring this out. Yeah, seriously. But at this point now, it's just I have the the fire is just so it's so bright again, and I'm just so genuinely just overly excited to see that same progression again where i can again say to myself you know i'm i am that guy i am that guy who can be you know getting invited to all these pro things and doing these big name meets and <clears throat> qualifying for stuff like that and it's just every single day when i leave work so i when i tra- on my two days that i train i train on or the two of the days i train are tuesday thursday so I work four. I work uh, four days a week, ten hour schedule. I usually go in on Friday for some overtime, but um, <laughs> for those two days that even I'm at work, I get I get into work at five thirty in the morning. I don't leave work until four thirty. So I'm there. It's a long, long day, and I work in manufacturing. So I'm in a loud, you know, noisy, you know, 
sometimes smelly environment, you know, a lot of fumes and stuff. And we're handling these valves that, like, you know, the size of, like, this table right in front of us. You know, we have cranes and stuff, but, you know, then we have all these big fittings. And so I got to run around and grab stuff. I got to go talk to my boss about this. I got to go to shipping because there's a problem. So my whole day is I'm on my feet. But even after all of that, I'll get in my car, go to the gym. I chomp down a protein bar, chug a a bunch of 110, iced tea lemonade, best stuff ever. Crank up my ACDC as loud as I could possibly get it in my truck. And I get to the gym. I get in there and I'm just like, it's just indescribable feeling. I'm just so genuinely excited to just lift something heavy. And I, with every set of every, of every movement, I just attack it. Like it's like it's nationals day. It's the day that I'm here to, you know, claim my spot as one of the best two twenties in the country. You know, and that, you know, I'm here to make a name for myself and that, you know, oh, you know, when I take my top set of squat, even though it's a triple at six and it's like, this is a 700 pound squat. This is what's going to, you know, set you up super well for a total down the line. And then for even for bench press, like, okay, you want 200 kilos so so fucking bad? You're going to make this fly. Then we're going to go to accessories, dumbbell bench. You're going to push those dumbbells as heavy as you fucking can. And we need to build a whole bunch of muscle if you want to try and push 200 kilo. Go on the deadlift. I'm like, okay, I got to get my technique perfect because Kabuki bar is unrelenting. If you have any even one little problem, it will pull you all sorts of ways. So I'm just always just so, so fired up at this point right now. And everything is just going so, so great. I'm, I'm just genuinely excited to step back on a, a national stage again. Well, I mean, you made it, right? You, yeah. you had this injury. And while you're never going to, you know, obviously, like, you can't go back to 2021. You right. That has to be such an indescribable feeling that you're you're healthy again. You're progressing. There's no doctor visits. There's nothing. You've yeah. made it past that insurmountable hill and you're back to where you were. And honestly, that mentality will carry you through that. I mean, it's funny because like even with 110, for the first two years, I accepted I couldn't, I couldn't, competing was not my priority. Right. And even though my journey, my struggle is a fraction of what you've gone through, I kind of know what you feel like. Like this last year, hiring John Song again and going, wow, I can, I'm at equilibrium in my company. I can start making this a, pro, uh, like a, a priority again. It's such an amazing feeling. And the thing for me oh, is yeah. it was it wasn't what you, it wasn't taken away from me, right? You, it was taken away from you, right? It wasn't, you didn't do it. You didn't get a no. DUI in your car. You didn't do anything wrong. You were driving, you were safe. Knowing you, you were probably doing everything completely normal. You thought, like, yeah. this yeah. was taken from you from by somebody else's mistake. Yes. And you're still able to come back and write your own story again. Like, yeah. I would bet my house, I would bet my life that you will outdots yourself within the next two years. Like, just, just knowing you, I mean, just, just hearing this whole story, and this is why I wanted to talk to you, is that we as human beings, I only know my own journey, right? I don't know anyone else's. The struggles that I go through seem, seem crazy, but then you put it in perspective and realize that, man, I can overcome so much more. This guy has overcome oh, yeah. so much. Wow, the human body can overcome so much, but you have to have that desire. Like, there's so many people that try to power up or try to do things in life, and they do it half-assed. And it's like, if your heart isn't in it, don't do it. Find right. something you love, because you found something that you truly love, and you put everything into it. Oh yeah. And you're still able to work. You mm-hmm. have a fiance. It's not like you're. It's not like the four burner theory where you're like doing everything with powerlifting. Like, obviously, you can only right. give so much of your physical time to powerlifting, and yet you're still able to overcome so many of these, again, insurmountable obstacles that other people would not be able to overcome. Right, and it's, yeah. it's that is a lesson. That's kind of why I wanted to talk to you was like, people want to bitch and moan about the things that they have to deal with. And not saying people's problems are not, are, are not hard, but don't even worry about them. Just get the next step. Find a way to be able to walk up to your room. And then right. find a way to bench press. And then find a way to walk. And it's like, people look too far ahead. Like, if I was in your situation, I would have been obsession with, like, I'm never going to get back to this point. Right. Where it sounds like you, while you, that was obviously in your brain, it sounds like what was successful for you was that you just motivated yourself and just took the next step. Right. Just right. crawled an inch, right? It's like the it's like a Shawshank Redemption where he's crawling through the tunnel. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, yeah, yeah. don't think about the end. Think about that next inch. And then next inch, and then next inch, because if you can do that and shut your brain off, eventually you turn around and you just crawled fifty feet, right? Like exactly, you just yeah. got out of the tunnel. You, yep. the, the light is there, and I think that it's so easy to give up in right now when you don't know what the future holds. And it's just so it's it's so incredible to talk to you about this because 
your story deserves to be told, man. And you're such a good guy that, again, like, it's so easy to root for you. Like, John, <laughs> I'm sorry. That. John, I'm sorry for this, but we've made it. We don't make exceptions for the rising tide, right? There's no, if you right. don't compete USAPL, you're not getting it. You're not getting qualified. If you right. don't qualify with the USAPL, you're not getting it. Right. You are somebody that there is an open invite for you. Now, I wouldn't give it to you this year just because I, I feel bad. I want you to go USPA. Yeah. But yeah. 2025, I'm telling you right now, there is an open invite for you. If I you're, appreciate If you that. hit the dots, which I know you will, because you're a New Jersey guy, you're a New Jersey, New York guy, and I would love to yeah. have you at the meet and um, go go win USPA Pro, win that <laughs> first. But uh, it'll be cool to have you back because those are the stories that I want. Those are the people that I want because people don't realize, oh, it's just New Jersey. And it's like, yeah, there are people that are absolutely incredible that you don't realize are here. Um, and... Man, it was it's just such a pleasure to talk to you about this. I really appreciate that, Kevin. And again, you know, I'm I'm really honored that you wanted me to be your first um uh guest on this show. It really it really does mean a lot to me and you know, it, it it's been a tough journey. Um but I could finally say now that you know, we're on a tear. I'm feeling phenomenal and um I'll just say this one last thing. The there was one quote that I kept kind of rolling around in my head the whole time that I was going through this healing process was in order for a phoenix to, to rise, it must first burn. Or my, uh, in order for a phoenix to rise from the ashes, it must first burn. I love that. I love that. Phoenix is always something that's very important to me. I love that the symbolism. So there you go. Um, and I love that because that's you. You have to. The the most amazing people in life are ones that dealt with you know adversity. Um, I caddied, right? I had I met people that no disrespect that were grew, were born into millions of dollars, and most yeah. of them had a soft handshake and mm-hmm. had never worked for a single thing in their life. And right. no matter where you end up in life, the fact that you overcame what you overcame is more important than anything. And um, to all the people that are listening, especially younger kids. Don't look up to people just because they can total a certain number. Don't look up to somebody because they can shoot a basketball or, or, or score a touchdown. Look up to people that inspire you for the way that they live their life, for the morals that they have, for everything they do. I don't care how many followers they have. That shouldn't matter. That stuff doesn't matter. It's all bullshit. Find people like this that are inspiring, that overcome obstacles that you didn't think were possible, and those are the people you should learn from because those are the people that can explain that can that can put into words the struggles that we all face and show you that it is possible not everyone will overcome their goals unfortunately in life there are people that will fail it just is part of life but right. it is possible don't ever discount yourself just because you think it's hard there are people that have struggled and survived and overcome things that i couldn't even i couldn't even begin to fathom so yeah any parting words is that it we're good um, we're gonna have to take yeah, <laughs> once you once you compete USPA. We're gonna have to have you back on for like thirty minutes. To talk about that whole thing. Back, you know, when you when you go back to the pros. When is that? Is that in the fall? Uh, for oh well the well the American. I do also plan on doing the American Pro okay, after awesome. um, right. after because I plan on using the drug tested nationals total and dots to hopefully get me into the primetime session for okay. the WRPF American Pro in which is yeah at the end of October. Um, but for nationals for me, it is the last week of June. Okay, so okay, real quick. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. I mean, and looking forward to it, man. I mean, that's that's amazing. Um, I appreciate you. Is there anything else you want to – any parting words or anything that you want to say to the people that have listened? Because uh, I'm yeah. the one saying how amazing you are, but I want I would love to – you know, when, when people are going through tough situations, what is your best advice? When people feel like they want to give up or have something that happens to them, what is your what is your best advice? I would honestly just, just keep reminding yourself that there is an end. There is always an end in sight, no matter what it is you're going through, no matter what pain or trauma. It could be physical. It could be emotional. It could be mental. It could be anything. And trust me, I have struggled with all three of those things. Um, there is an end to it. There is, a, there is a finish line. There is something that you can achieve. You have to put in the work for it. You know, Just sitting around on your ass isn't going to get you anywhere. But so long as you are making, even if it feels like you're, you're taking half a step, you took that half a step. Even if it feels like, like with me when I was getting, my, getting the knee flexion back, one degree. That's all I wanted was one degree every single session. And then next thing you know, two months go by and I have 20 more degrees of flexion. You know? Or for, <clears throat> with, especially the mental aspect for me was, you know, okay, we're, I'm struggling right now because I'm still kind of reconciling with what happened. You know, I, I saw a, um, you know, a, um, was it, a psychiatrist for a little while just because... It was like I, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't, I, I couldn't come to terms with the fact that it, I had that imposter syndrome of why, why did this happen to me? 
Not the, oh, why did the accident happen to me? Why did I live? Why did I live and someone else died? You know, so I hear stories of, oh, a guy low side, which means they kind of just dumped the motorcycle going 20 miles an hour and they, and they pass away. I got thrown off my motorcycle the opposite way, 200, 200 feet, and I survived. So there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. It might, be, it might take a long time to get there. It might take a full year. It might take more than that. But there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. And so long as you do the work to get to that point, you will eventually get to that point. So don't ever quit. That's, the, that's really what this all boils down to is don't ever quit. I never quit. I never will quit. This didn't make me quit. And I never will going forward. I love that. I think we can end on that. Don't ever quit. Never quit. <laughs> Dan, thank you for having. Uh, th thank you for having you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, this was an amazing first episode. This is exactly what I was looking for. Uh, awesome, man. <laughs> hope to have you back on. And and if you want to follow him, it is Dirty Dan ninety eight. I'm I'm underscore Dirty underscore Dan ninety eight. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. If you just type in Danny Statulek, you'll find me. Trust yeah, me. You'll find. Him. You'll know it's him. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Guys, thank you for tuning in to our first episode, and um, hopefully it was compelling enough. We can have more. So thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. Hey. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it.